Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Beats. I am your host, Kelly Kennedy, and I am very fortunate to be able to share my tribe as I travel across the globe and meet incredible scientists and doctors and all sorts of practitioners and continue to expand that tribe to help engage and encourage and empower you to learn how your body really works. Because what we know from our heart to yours is that you have all the innate wisdom inside you to heal and that our job is natural naturally oriented therapists, medically enlightened doctors and specialists available here at Not Meds Global. The Beats podcast is about helping you understand that you have that power inside and what you need to do to help engage it, to constantly upregulate your ecosystem. Thank you so much for being part of our community. If this resonates with you, please go ahead and share this episode. We are always open to your comments and your questions as always. And welcome back to this week's episode of The Beats. Welcome back to the Beats with Kelly Kennedy, and I am very honored today to have the natural heart doctor himself, Dr. Jack Wolfson, here in, not studio, but here in Zoom room, um, to really talk about circulation, heart health, and as a true MD in the United States that I am just thrilled to have this conversation with, because most of the medical doctors that I speak to are from Europe. And so it's very nice to meet a nice new friend and colleague, Dr. Jack Wolfson, and honor him um, today through our podcast and all the work that he's done. Thank you for being the pioneer that you are for all of us from all the different subject matters that you've dealt with and all the turmoil you've gone through in your life professionally, and I'm sure personally, to be able to stand up and say uncomfortable things and do the right things by the people. Thank you so much for what you've done for all of us. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for having me on your show. And I appreciate the opportunity again to, you know, share my message, you know, with people as much as possible to, you know, communicate with people like yourself. So those of us in the same tribe, if you will, that understand the way the body really works, the way the earth really works, the way the universe works, and as we do that and we teach other people, uh, that's really going to be our salvation to get through this current crisis and future crises. Uh, as again, we teach people the truth. And so can you tell us a little bit for those that don't know in the community, how your journey started going from standard cardiovascular doctor to, okay, now I'm the natural heart doctor, because that's a bit of a jump. <laughs> Right, right. Natural heart doctor sounds kind of like an oxymoron, right? It's like, if you think about uh, cardiovascular medicine as it is, it's got nothing to do with natural. It has everything to do with pharmaceuticals and surgeries. And that's really the life that I was born into. I was born into a cardiologist family. My father was a cardiologist. And uh, from an early age, I wanted to be exactly like my father. And I followed the exact same path all the way through medical school and residency and cardiology fellowship. And now I'm two years on the job as a practicing hospital-based cardiologist. And I'm with the biggest group in the state of Arizona on my way to becoming a senior partner in that group and making significant revenue as such. And at that time, which was around 2000, uh, late 2004, early 2005, 
I met this woman who would open up my eyes to health and wellness. And she is a doctor of chiropractic DC, or as she says, DC doctor of cause. And she said, you have to become a DC. You have to become a doctor of cause. Mm. And that is how you're truly going to help people. Because at that time, I saw, of course, sickness all around me with the hospital as a revolving door. Someone comes in with a heart attack, and then we put do an angioplasty and a stent, and they go out on pharmaceuticals, and they come back soon after with another heart attack or complications from the pharmaceuticals. And also, what was extremely pivotal at that time was my father was diagnosed with a Parkinson's-like illness. He's in mm. his mid-50s. He's diagnosed with this Parkinson's-like illness. We take him to the Mayo Clinic, and the Mayo Clinic diagnoses him with something called PSP, progressive supranuclear palsy. They say there is no cure, and when asked, there's no cause. So the Mayo Clinic says there's no cause for my father's illness, and then I meet this young chiropractor, and she tells me exactly why my father is sick. And she said, if you want to help people, if you want to avoid being like your father, uh, father, again, you will become a DC doctor of cause. And because of my father, because of what I saw around me, I started to make the change into the natural heart doctor you see before you right now, or if you're listening on the audio version, uh, you know, what you're hearing right now. What an amazing story. And, and let's just jump to it. She became your wife, right? And you got four beautiful kids with her and she obviously influenced you in more ways than one, but what an incredible, you know, I can't wait to meet her because I'm sure that she is a tidal wave in and of herself to be able to make such an impact on somebody that was so focused in one particular direction. Um, and I, I'm sorry that your father had that diagnosis yet, glad that it was a wake-up call for you and, and so many others. And it, it is, you know, particularly with this, particular virus world that we're living in right now and looking at cardiovascular health is one of the comorbidities. And I would love to talk about that a little further because I think that, like you said, people just think, oh, I went ahead my stent place. I'm now taking my pharmaceutical drugs and I'm good. It's treated. So it's not part of my comorbidity. It's not part of my experience anymore. Do you feel the same way about that? No, most certainly not, because uh, medicine is, is fantastic for a Band-Aid approach, or maybe that's giving them too much credit. Medicine is a Band-Aid approach, and sometimes not a very good one. And unfortunately, what happens is that people are left with this false sense of security, that now you're taking a drug for your blood pressure, now you're taking a drug for your cholesterol, now you're taking a blood thinner, and you think you're safe. And the reality is you're not safe at all. Those, ben those pharmaceuticals, if they have any benefit, according to the, their literature from the pharmaceutical companies, uh, the benefits are very small. And we do people a disservice when all we tell them about are the pharmaceuticals. And that's why I've done videos uh, like, you know, why, why statin drugs kill, you know, millions of people. Now, why would any cardiologist ever say that? Because uh, the literature would say otherwise, oh, no, statin drugs are saving lives, albeit few, but they're saving lives. So why would we say it kills millions of people? And it's because, again, we are leaving millions of people unprotected. They think they're protected by the pharmaceuticals, but they're not because they're not going after the cause of cardiovascular disease. So if they're not treating the nutrition, if they're not going after the cardiology healthy lifestyle, 
if they're not looking at environmental toxins and pollutants, if they're not looking at dental health. In your scenario, if they're not looking at lymphatic health, if you're not looking at the most advanced testing in the world, if they're not looking at the most uh, advanced evidence-based supplements, evidence-based supplements, if they're not doing all that, then they're getting shortchanged and hence millions of people around the world are suffering and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I, I have so many clients that come to us because we're not doctors and they're like, oh, I'm so thankful you're not a doctor. I've been to all these doctors and they start to give doctors a bad name. And what I constantly say is, listen, doctors study medicine. And so stop being frustrated that you walk into a doctor who studied medicine and giving you medicine. But I think what we could both agree about is maybe what we're frustrated with is the medical schools and what they're not teaching. And what you had to do was go and re-educate yourself and continue to re-educate yourself, like you just said, for the evidence-based supplements that work because supplement companies come and go and they're always looking at new technologies to make things work even better. And that is, that's an undertaking, right? Or an intertaking, whichever way you want to look at it. When you've already spent eight, nine years in school, college, you know, advanced plus hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in your education. Now you're finally the doctor, but now you had to do all this additional research and all this additional schooling. And that's one of the many reasons I respect you, but I, I would say that that is unusual and how, I mean, this is a little off subject perhaps, but how did that happen for you? And how can we get other doctors to jump over that barrel to go, Hey, maybe the way I've been educated, isn't all that there is. Maybe there's a whole nother way. Yeah. You know, you bring up a great point. Essentially, you know, the, the, the changing uh, and the brainwashing of the medical doctors, the control thereof, starting in the early 1900s by the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, he commissioned uh, Cyber, uh, Simon and Abraham Flexner to come up with the Flexner Report, which essentially was uh, the new guidelines as to what medical training would, would be about. And right at that point, it became just totally controlled by the pharmaceutical you know, and surgical industry. And it, and it continues to this day. So you're right, don't be frustrated, I guess, with your current medical doctor, because that's just the only way that they're taught. That's the entire training program. That's like saying, you know, on a religious level, well, if you go to speak to a, uh, a, a rabbi, well, why isn't the rabbi open to Catholicism or to, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the religion of Islam? Again, it's like, it's just, it's just what they're taught and that's what they're going to follow. And the same thing with the medical doctors. So you can't ask your medical doctor about nutrition, lifestyle, environmental toxins, advanced uh, testing or supplements because they just don't know the language. It's not that they're not smart people, but again, they are educated and they are clearly financially incentivized to stay in that lane. So when you do what I did to jump out of that medical uh, system and now you go holistic, well, you're giving up uh, security, financial security, uh, uh, practice you know, security, you're giving up a, a lot of your relationships you know, with your colleagues, you're deconstructing again your, your, your current methodology and knowledge and rebuilding from scratch to what is really the common sense model. And the doctors, it's not that they lost the common sense, they never, they never had the training of the common sense. And that's what we're trying to restore. And I guess to answer your question, how do we get more people to do it? One of the things that I joke about in st on stage or when I'm talking to other practitioners that the easiest thing uh, to do in the quickest way 
is to sleep with a medical doctor. So when, you know, when my wife you know, started sleeping with me, that became the pathway to, to my change. But you know, we say that obviously totally in jest. Uh, that's not the way to go about it to, uh, uh, you know, but, but nonetheless, it's difficult because again, they are so financially incentivized and so brainwashed into that model it makes it difficult for them to uh, to break free. But, you know, one person at a time, we're starting to make these changes. And I think really we're at the epitome of, of, of you know, crossroads right now in, in the world. And there are those people who are embracing uh, the innate wisdom of the body to stay healthy and well. And there's those obviously that are running to the medical system and we need to just to continue to shout our message, which again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show to share my message of cardiovascular health naturally. Well, the false sense of security, I think, is both on both edges of that equation. I appreciate that answer so much because I think doctors that are trained medically have a false sense of security as well, not just the patients that are getting the medicines that, you know, I said to somebody earlier today, I'm not a doctor, but I would this, there's not a client with any diagnosis that I feel uncomfortable taking on. And I maybe can't do all the therapies with them, but this medicine I know will help them. And I might have to send them to a clinic in Switzerland to get done what they need done or to some clinic in the United States that can do therapies that we can't do from a licensed perspective. But this medicine, I have full confidence in that it can heal anything. And I think that's a, I feel bad at some level for the medical doctors that are just doing standard medicine, allopathic medicine, because they do have a false sense of security that they're helping people. And much like yourself, we're like, wait, you're not helping my dad. You're not helping these clients or these patients are still sick, even though I put the stent in and gave them whatever heart doctor or heart drug that I gave them. And now here they are still, they haven't changed the lifestyle. They haven't changed the mindset. They haven't changed their ill relationship. So do you find there are patterns with cardiovascular disease that you've identified in regards to cure causes, emotional states, nutritional problems? Do you see any patterns that, that would be very obvious at this point in your career? Yeah, I think, you know, once again, the, uh, yeah, the patterns really just go with kind of living this 21st century lifestyle uh, leads to the 21st century illnesses. And the 21st century lifestyle is just, again, surrounded by unhealthy food choices, unhealthy sleep patterns, unhealthy uh, activities, uh, and, and, and lack of sunshine exposure, for example. Uh, the, all the environmental toxins, which we are exposed to on an unprecedented level, uh, com, you know, compared to, you know, where things have been uh, historically. Uh, the, the other factor, like you mentioned as well, as far as that emotional state, the, the mental health, if you will, and that's chapter five of my book. And chapter five, I titled One Nation Under Prozac, because the, the people who are treated for these uh, anxiety, stress, depression, anger, uh, they're treated with pharmaceuticals and they're not successful because, again, they don't address the cause. But I want people to know that all those things, all those emotional and mental health problems are highly correlated with cardiovascular disease. So whenever somebody comes to see me after they've had a heart attack or a stroke or an episode of atrial fibrillation or some other cardiology diagnosis, we always try and ascertain what was their emotional state just prior to that event. And invariably, 
something traumatic happened, something uh, stressful happened to that person. And once we identify that, again, we can help to teach them so this doesn't happen to them again. And so we can you know, point out, hey, you know, these are factors you need to fix because yeah, they can be very detrimental from a cardiac standpoint. And that's so much true really in the, in the diagnoses that exist in the medical world, like SCAD, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. It typically mm-hmm. happens after a stressful situation in younger women. There's another diagnosis called Takasubo cardiomyopathy. Again, it's a medical diagnosis. It's on our medical board examinations. It's in the cardiology textbooks. And that's Takasubo cardiomyopathy or broken heart syndrome. So ah. some stressful emotional event happens, again, typically to middle-aged women that leads to what looks like a heart attack and subsequent congestive heart failure. So these are, these are just uh, known examples but why do we not appreciate how stress and anger, anxiety, depression, social isolation, how these all impact people's general health and certainly cardiology health, you know, blood pressure, uh, uh, cholesterol, heart rhythms, heart attack risk, you name it. I haven't thought about this book in years, but I'm sure you're familiar with it. Dr. Don Kohlberg's book, um, Deadly Emotions. He was a heart surgeon. Did you ever read that book? Um, I never, I never read that book, but, you know, but you know, to your point, you know, I mean, well, you can tell me more about it, but, uh, you know, again, it, it's just, it's nothing we ever discussed in medical training. Not once did we ever talk about stress and stress management as, as a way to help people from a cardiovascular standpoint. Right now, you know, you know, almost two years into the pandemic, where social isolation is at an all-time high and the and the all the medical literature that is so effusive with studies and evidence of how social isolation increases cardiovascular risk and we see you know mainstream media doesn't report on this stuff but we see and hear this on a daily basis we see it on social media we see it within our our patients and our clients who are suffering from social isolation and other things that have been, you know, ordained, you know, during the pandemic. You know, I, I so appreciate that we've gone there with this conversation because I, and I'm going to send you a copy of Deadly Emotions as my gift for you doing this today, because that was one of the most impressive books I read years ago, probably 20 years ago when I first started in this world, because I came from very physical medicine. Like, you know, I wanted to be a physical medicine doctor. I wanted to, like, I like tangible stuff. I didn't understand things that I couldn't see. <laughs> I was, what's energy? I don't know what it is unless you can show it to me on a video or something, and then I can touch it then I'll understand it. But until that time, it was out of my world. And now I've come full circle. And I don't know if you know this, but the tagline of this, first of all, it's called the beats, meaning the heartbeats. And it's, and it's tagline is from my heart to yours, because it's, I want people to understand that you can do all the physical medicine, but it's about your own inner heart and your own connection to yourself. And I find that our heart you know, I've now seen that it actually sends out more signals and receives signals that it's our own EMF machine, if you will. And it's really picking up people's vibes. It's picking up their energy. It's picking up their love. And, and I know that when I give somebody a hug, 
or I connect with them on a heartfelt level, that's more important than them doing 10, 10 pass ozone IVs and vitamin C IVs for their amalgam remediation or their COVID or whatever situation that's on a physical level that healing their emotion and just love that the cardiologist is saying that as well, Dr. Jack, because that's just brilliant. And if you can unpack that anymore, please do. Well, one thing I would add to that too, um, uh, and, and I agree with everything you just said about, uh, you know, uh, all, all these things are super important, right? I mean, so we tend to give a lot of credence to nutrition, but again, nutrition is not any more important than, again, quality sleep, sunshine, uh, physical connection, like you just said, avoidance of toxins. I mean, they're all like on that same level. But I think, you know, when, when you talk about the electromagnetic uh, uh, field and the experience of what that means when you're with another human, uh, uh, we do know obviously from, from social isolation studies that being isolated is, is a problem. But also I like to look at that in that kind of connection about the evidence about people who have pets, mm. particularly the most research is on dogs. People who have a dog as a pet, they live longer. They have less risk of cardiovascular disease. So why is that? Well, clearly there's a lot of emotional, you know, about, okay, well, I, I, I love this animal. This animal loves me. Um, uh, and there may be other factors of why pet owners, you know, live longer. But the other thing I think also is that as the animal that we're close to gives off their electromagnetic frequencies that impact us and ours impacts them in this symbiotic relationship, I think there's a lot to that. Again, and we can think, you know, what is this kind of like this woo-woo thing that we're talking about, you know, electromagnetic? I mean, think about what infrared radiation is. So if we go out with these, you know, night vision goggles that the military uses, for example, or hunters would use. So you've got these infra, you know, these, these night vision glasses that sense the infrared energy coming from objects. And the more animate or alive something is, the more infrared energy that it generates. So again, as that pet is giving us the energy and we are giving energy to the pet, uh, I think ultimately, again, it leads to better health. So I'm totally on board with, with everything that you're saying. And again, just highlights, uh, A, how much we don't know, B, that uh, it, it, a lot of this stuff is just common sense practice, and C, again, the, the cardiologists, they're just not incentivized to get this message. Yeah, because I'm sure you've done a lot less prescribing of pharmaceuticals and a lot, a lot less surgery that you've been able to build the insurance companies for, because now everything you're doing, I'm sure has to be paid out of pocket for people because it's not in the PDR physician's desk references. This is an approved treatment and therapy for cardiovascular disease, which perhaps we can intend to change that over the next decade with our tribe together to get the PDR and the insurance companies, or maybe we change that model altogether, but to have a fullistic, a holistic approach to true cardiovascular health and these patterns that you've seen. And, you know, regardless of disease, of uh, toxicity, lack of connection, lifestyle, diet, you know, all of those things. So good. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I mean, again, like the hospital, you know, we'd like to think is this 
altruistic institution. It started that way, right? It started that way by the churches, you know, in the 1700s, the 1800s. That's why a lot of these hospitals they retain the met, you know, the you know the the name, the religious you know affiliation, uh, you know, Lutheran General, uh, Houston Methodist, you know, so and so Presbyterian. These were all religious institutions that that again had had this altruistic arm of helping people. But now clearly it is purely for profit, it is purely, you know, for business. And, and when the hospitals do procedures, when they perform tests, that is how the reimbursement happens. And that's why a lot of them, I mean, they've got no interest in, none of them do really, in holistic medicine. And, you know, you take to the latest, you know, pandemic, when a hospital had the diagnosis of COVID or the use of a ventilator, the financial windfall was extreme, was absolutely extreme. And we don't want to throw the doctors necessarily under the bus for being complicit with that. But again, it just goes part and parcel with the whole, with the whole medical model as it exists. The hospitals are for profit. The doctors, again, when doctors see quote unquote sicker patients, they make more money. It's just the way that medicine currently is. Well, now that we've solved all the world problems and be able to get all the medical team to be able to open themselves up, let's take a corner if there's, unless you want to add anything to that, Dr. Jack, anything you want to add to that before I sidetrack us over to the lymph and the cardiovascular system? No, no, no. I mean, I think, you know, listen, we could talk about all the problems with modern medicine all day long, and uh, I'd rather talk about solutions. Yeah, exactly. Me too. But I think it's important to set the stage for that, for understanding who you are and, and, and help everybody intend for those changes because it takes a, a group and a group intention to allow those changes to occur. And then we'll, we'll do the, the work that needs to happen. So. Well, well, I mean, let me, let me say one more thing to that. Just to, you know, like drive home the point you just made in the sense of I am the ultimate insider or even whistleblower, if you want to say that, because again, I've seen everything on the cardiology side. I was a practicing hospital-based cardiologist for 10 years. Along the way, I learned the truth. I stayed inside the medical model. I tried to make changes where I could. Ultimately, when it was not uh, to, to the level of change of what we needed to make happen, I would have to leave that big group in 2012 and start my own practice. But, uh, you know, you know, I mean, to that point, again, it's like I, I saw everything wrong on that side, which allows me to be a fantastic spokesperson for, for truth and reality on, on this side. And, and again, much gratitude for you doing that and being willing to speak the truth. So I'm going to tell you a little story about bioregulatory medicine, and that'll help us dive into the cardiovascular system. So when I started learning the science of bioregulatory medicine, we have this particular test we do called contact regulation thermography. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a temperature assessment of the body. So it's not a thermogram where it's taking a picture, but it's a, a probe that takes the temperature of 128 points of the dermatones that relate to every organ and tissue in the body. And part of this test, it was very, it seemed very complicated to me at the time. I find it very simple now, but at the time it was like 128 points and each one has a temperature and then you cool the person off for 10 minutes. They stand naked. So they're regulating 
and then you take the temperature again. So it's the change in temperature that indicates whether or not uh, they're regulating at that one point. And then you look at their patterns and you can tell how fast to move therapy. It's done through a logarithm and averages of each section, head, neck, chest, upper abdomen, lower abdomen, kidney, back. I've done it for a long time. The reason I became the quote lymph queen was because every single test I looked at, I was like, okay, they've got, their lymph is jacked up. It's clogged. And the heart rate variability we do at the same time. And what blew my mind was that whether that client was an Ironman athlete or they were type two diabetes or they were stage four lymphoma, they all had crappy lymph, even the Ironman. And when I would then do a lymph therapy on them, and maybe their chronotrophic and vascular recovery was really absent on their heart rate variability, which made no sense to me because I'm like, they're a Ironman athlete. Obviously they're working out their, their heart can pump the blood. Why is it not working? I started to realize after one lymph session and retest, I'm like, wait, their cardiovascular health changed in one hour. How's that happening? And it made me start to realize that the lymph and the cardiovascular were so linked. I mean, I know the lymph termini drain into the cardiovascular system, but I, I mean, I was like, how can anybody have cardiovascular health unless they're moving their lymph? Because even those athletes that are moving, eating well, that are, you know, they're, they're using this as the temple, their physical body is their temple. And they're making sure everything that passes their lips is good. And they're exercising and holy cow. That was crazy. So, I mean, have you, what is your experience with the lymph and cardiovascular health? I, I mean, we have never had this conversation just so everybody knows. I have no idea what he's going to say. He had no idea what my questions were going to be. And so this is truly raw, organic conversation. Let's go. <laughs> I've been so wanting this. You conversation. Got it. No. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, first of all, I want to preface, you know, my response with, with the with the concept of like anything is possible in in this world anything is possible and all options and theories and questions are, are on the table because the the answer is you know we just we just don't know and that's one of my main platforms to tell people is to continue to ask questions and believe again that anything is possible so whatever theory you have about heart disease, about cancer, about viruses, whatever it may be, again, we should be able to question everything. Because when you mention this test that includes, you know, 128 different areas, the average medical doctor would roll their eyes to that or roll their eyes to thermography and say, oh, there is no science, there's no data, there's no literature. Again, a lot of these things that we talk about, there, there may not be a lot of quote unquote science or studies as it relates to that, but there's, there, 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 it just, there, there's no studies on it. And studies don't happen for a variety of reasons. And a lot of times we don't need studies uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to prove the common sense. Now you may say, hey, the good news is we do have studies actually, you know, we perform this particular form of lymphatic therapy and it does improve heart rate variability. But then again, the, the, the typical medical doctor will come in and they'll say, yeah, but your studies are small and there was no placebo group. I mean, like they will always condemn us, but we don't, again, we need to continue to tell people the reality is, is that modern medicine 
doesn't have anywhere near the answers that we need. And we have to, again, question everything that we do. Now, as it pertains to lymphatic, uh, you know, uh, treatments and therapies in lymphatic medicine of what I use in my practice, again, it's another area where I'm so happy to meet with you uh, and to discuss how I can bring this stuff, you know, to my practice and into my, again, local area where, where our main office is in Scottsdale, Arizona. But I, I see so many patients both in person who travel to see me and virtually, again, how do we get them in touch with these therapies? Um, I, I mean, no insult to you whatsoever. Obviously, when I say, you know, it's on my recommendation that everybody, of course, gets chiropractic care and how that improves lymphatic flow, but how, how everybody should get a message and how, you know, on how that can ultimately help so many different things, including um, uh, uh, mentally, you know, the idea of relaxation, you know, during a massage, just to, you know, like unplug for an hour a week and have someone work on you. But then again, to take it to a professional level, like you talk about, there are uh, some lymphopractors and lymphatic specialists who I do refer to in Scottsdale. And I think you'll tell me that there's really a dearth of people practicing uh, your methodology and similar techniques uh, you know, around the world. And yeah, let's continue to push that message forward. And, and to finish up that stream of, you know, consciousness, I mean, when I think about um, somebody with a, a wound on their leg, a non-healing leg ulcer, and the ulcer on their leg is not healing because someone may have swelling of the leg and therefore, you know, and, and maybe it's from congestive heart failure. So again, they've got heart failure, they build up fluid in their legs, and now they have a non-healing wound. Well, that person, we can give them all the antibiotics, we can give them all the topical therapies, but they don't heal because the, the, the tissues are congested and they're swollen. And how can an infected wound heal if the infection-fighting white blood cells can't get to the area because it's all jammed up with, with water and lymphatic fluid and the lymphatics are all congested. So I've got no doubt that, you know, your therapies could infinitely help to heal that person. So um, I, I think it's an untapped area, but I look forward to myself learning more so I can continue to, you know, push that knowledge out. Well, thank you for that. I look forward to working on you and talking to you about that. And um, one of the things that I've learned in my training is that the Starling principle, I gotta, gotta say it's like eight or nine years ago now, we used to think that all of the, about 80% of the toxins move through the venal system. And then we discovered, nope, we were wrong. It's the lymphatic system. And so when I look at somebody who's got congestive heart failure, or they've got some stagnicities of any kind, whether that's swelling or lack of circulation, brain fog, you know, blood pressure issues, whatever it is, I sit there and go, but your lymph, which should be like water gets thick because of improper diet, stress, tight fitting clothes, chemicals, metals, scars on the physical body, all the things that thicken that lymph fluid, Wi-Fi, those all thicken the lymph fluid. And now what's dumped into the cardiovascular system is thicker. This is again, I know anything can cause anything. And I appreciate that. This is just my theory. And I'd love my cardiologist friend to share some light if there is any light or darkness, whatever there is. But when I look at the, the drainage, the termini above the clavicles draining into the vena cava, and I know that 
now it's being circulated. Well, if that's thick, it's going to be harder for the body to pump it out through versus if that's thinner, because, you know, it's, it's collecting through the capillaries and the vessels through the interstitial spaces. It's collecting all the excess fluid, all the excess proteins, fats, nutrients, and it's taking them up to the nodes, letting the nodes decipher what it is if it can get to the nodes that's a whole nother problem i think and then it then it dumps in cardiovascular but if that's thick it's even harder for the body to circulate that and i sit there and think about cancer and how people in this country go oh no don't move the lymph if they have cancer i'm like no the body's toxic if they have cancer the first thing you want to do is move the lymph because it's and, and they're worried that it's going to circulate cancer cells and i'm like that doesn't sound like logical to me at all, because that's not how the body really works actually, but it's, you know, I don't know that those are just some streams of thoughts because I just, I never get a chance to spar with a cardiologist. That's really what it boils down. Yes. yes. Show me I where mean, I'm wrong, Jack. Show me where I'm wrong. I'm happy to discuss well, I mean, it. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know, stagnation is is again. It's been well known for thousands of years to be uh, causative to to disease states, whether it's cancer, uh, deep venous thrombosis. You know, for example, what's called you know Burkhaus, you know, triad. Uh, you know, involves you know stagnation of of you know a venous uh, flow. And I guess to your point, well, if we say well you know, we don't want to mobilize lymphatic fluid because it could spread cancer. Well, I guess the extreme opposite of that, like if, if we believe that to be the case, then we should go in there with a scalpel and sever all the lymphatic ties, right? So, you know, wherever lymphatic drainage is occurring, well, ultimately to prevent spread, let's just ligate that, that area, right? So now there's no, there's no more spread of that. And of course, we don't do that. Thank God, you know, the medical doctors haven't thought of that. Um, I, I, I love, you know, understanding that again, the arteries uh, send out blood to the, to the body for, for everything that, that is, is necessary, whether it's oxygen or it's nutrients, again, delivering all these things, you know, uh, infection fighting uh, cells and materials and products, you know, two different areas. Uh, and, and not only is the venous system responsible for returning a lot of that uh, uh, flow, but it's the lymphatic system and it, it is that third part, but it is every bit as important when it comes to health and wellness. So I love the conversation about how do we improve lymphatic flow as it pertains to, again, cardiovascular, uh, you know, uh, you know and, and certainly cancer and brain and autoimmune and gut issues, you know, so on and so forth. But again, as we think about all the uh, anatomical drawings that are out there, you know, so many exist, obviously, for arteries, and so many exist for brain, but I'm sorry, for, you know, for veins, but as it pertains to the lymphatic drain into the body, it's just, it's such an unknown territory, even to this day, uh, uh, and if we think about that map of the lymphatic system, and again, how important the flow is, and as you talk about, you know, these, this sludge dripping into the, you know, superior, you know, vena cava, these, you know, subclavian uh, veins, that go on and form the superior vena cava that directly feed into the right side of uh, right side of the heart uh, and then get pumped to the lungs and out to the body. It just makes sense. Ultimately, if you're pumping sludge and sludge is from, from a lot of different things, whether it's stagnation in lymphatics and all the inflammation that goes along with what's going on in the lymphatics, 
uh, the thoracic duct ultimately that would drain into the, to the subclavian vein on the left uh, side. Um, but it also has to do, you know, again, with uh, people that have like thick blood, for example. So one, one thing we do, obviously, amongst all the different tests we do, we look at a hemogram to see what their hemoglobin and hematocrit is. And so many people have high levels of hemoglobin and hematocrit these days for a variety of reasons, including the fact that nobody bleeds anymore. Our ancestors used to bleed. Our ancestors, you know, it was a traumatic type lifestyle. And now we don't even cut ourselves shaving anymore. So our, our hemoglobin tends to go up high. Now, again, that leads to thick, sludgy blood, which of course raises blood pressure, more stress on, on the heart, uh, more blood clotting that ensues, more turbulence in the blood vessels, and we have a lot of uh, illness because of it. So I recommend all my patients and clients, of course, we check their blood work to make sure they're a candidate for it, but pretty much everybody goes either to donate blood or for therapeutic lobotomy. Like you, no one's gonna accept your blood for whatever reasons, but you go somewhere and they take off 500 milliliters of blood and they throw it in the you know, hazardous waste bin. Uh, and I think that is, and, and, and that does have some medical literature to support that as well. Well, and some of my friends in Switzerland use leeches, <laughs> but yeah, I think that I've never thought about that. You know, there was bloodletting, right? I mean, that's a very common thing that happened back in with Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. They do a lot of bloodletting. I never, that was, that's very interesting to release the tension, essentially. That's housed. of course I would then think what's the cause, you know, what's stagnant, what's causing that stagnicity while you're treating it. What's also the cause. So one of the quandaries that I have in, in my practice, again, you had no idea I was going to ask you this question. I didn't know I was going to ask you this question, is that after I've been working with clients for some time, I find it's, it's not overly common, but I'd say maybe 5% of the, the population that when my husband and I have worked with them, we've helped them get rid of their amalgam fillings biologically. We've helped them handle their scars. We've helped them handle their lymphatics, their emotional piece, everything. They've changed their nutrition. They're eating a plant-based diet with good, healthy organ meats and, and, you know, a good variety of diet, not one extreme or another. They they're even doing intermittent fasting. Why do I get so many people that all of a sudden have high cholesterol? Is it that they're not converting the cholesterol perhaps? Like I'm really plagued by this. Any ideas? Well, you know, chapter one of my book is called, uh, you know, uh, Cholesterol is King. And so we talk about the importance of cholesterol, why our body makes it, and why all animal species on planet Earth make cholesterol. So we talk about that. And once we understand how important cholesterol is, then we have to determine again, like, what are the real factors related to what our, what, what our cardiology colleagues call, uh, you know, high cholesterol and, and such. It turns out actually that cholesterol as a blood measurement is not a very good determinator of health. Uh, we know this from the 1970s, the Mr. Fit trial, that a total cholesterol 160 to 260 tends to be about the sweet spot when it comes to overall health and wellness and, and death and dying. Now, the most important cardiovascular marker as it pertains to cholesterol or lipids is actually a ratio. It's called the APOB-APOA ratio. And when that, the, the, the lower that ratio is, the better. And this is, this is testing that can be done uh, through any major you know, uh, uh, laboratory. Uh, we do that in our office. We offer it to people online, you know, yada, yada. So I, I guess in short, what I would say, to, you, to, you know, to your point, if the cholesterol uh, and, and that ratio is abnormal, we have to circle back to why. 
because a lot of it has to do again with with irritation to the body. If the body is irritated, if the body is inflamed from all the things that we've already discussed, then cholesterol can be abnormal. Now, the answer, of course, is not a pharmaceutical to fix the ratio. The answer is, as you said, get to the root causes of why this is happening and start to reverse it. And that's how we're going to be successful. Um, I do want to I do want to ask you though because you mentioned plant based and then you mentioned organs in the same sentence and uh, I know it's I, uh, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead and unpack that for me. <laughs> so we've done all the extreme diets. I've been an orthorexic back in the day where I went blood type diet, then I went keto, and then I went you know I haven't done carnivore. My good friend, Al Danver really wants me to do carnivore. I, I, unless you're giving me pills, I'm a reluctant carnivore to begin with. But what I found through all of that is like, they're good guidelines and they're good short-term therapeutically to do any kind of diet. But the reality is that we should all be flexitarians. High quality meats, ideally organ meat seems to be the best from a human species. And when I think about the fact that we evolved you know, I believe God created evolution. So don't get down that rabbit hole, but we've evolved from hunting and gathering <laughs> to having oranges every single season of the year, all, all the year round. And I live in a very different climate than you live yet. We have total access to the same food, probably unfortunately from the same farmer, except for the fact we probably both use CSAs. But the reality for me is that a short-term diet is really a good idea therapeutically. Intermittent fasting, I think, is brilliant all the time because that's our body wasn't designed to eat three meals a day all the time. It's just not typical. And if you follow your own pattern of eating by, hmm, I'm hungry today and I want that, then you eat that. So that's how I come to that. And plant-based meaning when when Ayn and I first started this practice and we told people to eat gluten-free. I was blown away what people walked into the door with packaged food. And I was like, I'm sorry. When I said gluten-free, what I meant was go buy vegetables and fruits and meat. That's what I meant. I didn't mean to go eat packaged corn in, in a different form than you were eating it before. You need to eat whole food. So maybe that's the better way to say it. Whole food in its whole form rather than plant-based. So it's a little bit of everything. Just be a flexitarian. Does that yeah, make sense? You know, um, I mean, why, why is it that we don't have to teach a lion and a tiger and a giraffe and a gorilla and a monkey? Why, why, why are humans the only ones that are confused about what to eat? You know, it's, I mean, when you think about that, it's, 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 really, uh, it, it, it's really a problem. And I'm not going to say I've got all the answers necessarily. I mean, again, I, I say no matter what diet program you follow or whatever, whatever you're eating, make it organic. I've got zero room for dirty dozen, uh, you know, in the clean 15. I've got zero room for uh, restaurants that would say, you know, uh, organic, you know, when available. I don't use any of that dialogue whatsoever. If it's not organic, if it's not pesticide free, I don't eat it. And, you know, to the point where you talked about carnivore and, and some of these other yeah, uh, you know, you know, programs. I think a lot of them can be good for for kind of like a cleanse or a detox or or a change to shake up the system. But to me, it always reverts back to hunter gatherer, ancestral, paleo, whatever we want to call it. 
Uh, again, we can see that today in modern societies. We can see it in historical writings. We can see it from TV shows like Alone, Naked and Afraid, uh, Survivor. These are hunter-gatherers uh, that are there. So, you know, the, the concept of plant-based, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take issue with. And again, I, I know you would, would love to discuss it further as well, because that's just such a buzzword. But to me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm animal and seafood based, because those are the most nutrient-dense in the world. And as it pertains to carnivore, I think where the carnivore people get it wrong is that they fail to discuss the seafood story. And to me, seafood is the healthiest food on the planet. There is no second or third place. And then after that comes in the organs and the muscle meats and stuff like that. And then if you want to be this hunter gatherer who's eating, uh, you know, vegetables and stuff that would be available. And like you said, probably more so seasonally, uh, undoubtedly uh, plays a role there. And then the concept of intermittent fasting, I love intermittent fasting because I think it helps to break, you know, food addictions. I think eating, uh, you know, my favorite concept of intermittent fasting is really just eating when the sun is out because that's what our ancestors did. If it wasn't sunny, uh, if it wasn't light out, they were sleeping or, or getting ready to sleep or again, doing some other activity besides eating. So uh, if, we can, if we can do that, I think it's great. I love the, the idea of extended duration intermittent fast as well, just to kind of cleanse out the whole system. 72 hour water fasts, I think are fantastic. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think perhaps I need to change my terminology from plant-based to whole food. And I agree, fish is you know farthest away from us from an uh, evolution standpoint and probably the best from an energetic standpoint of eating. And I think it's full of minerals too, because it comes from the ocean. So, I mean, I, I'm a reluctant carnivore, but I love my oysters and I love my salmon and I love my um, you know, uh, with sea bass and I, I don't eat a ton of variety of fish because I haven't found a lot that I really love. But since we bought a house in South Carolina, I'm finding I'm eating more fish and oysters than I've ever eaten in my life. And it's, it feels really good. I mean, that's all you can say. It feels good. And my husband loves sushi. So he loves live food because the same thing, he feels just the energy of that, that protein source going into him. And at having an eight-year-old, and I'm sure you can attest to this, having four children, if they're left to their own devices, they pretty much eat protein. That's pretty much it. They don't, they're not really interested in vegetables, maybe a little bit of berries here and there, but if it was up to my kid, he'd eat nothing but protein. And yeah, most certainly. Yeah. I mean, I mean and you know, I do want to highlight a couple of things, you know, as you know, kind of going back, back to the importance of cholesterol. So if we think about um, the brain of a cell. So we're made up of, of trillions of cells. And then of course, including the bacteria in our gut. Uh, now it takes us to the tens of trillions of these tiny cells. And the brain of a cell is not the DNA. That's just how things replicate. The, the, that's our genetic code of, of how we make all these things happen uh, inside of the cell. But the brain of the cell is the cell membrane. And that's the fence that encloses all the contents inside of the cell, keeping things inside the cell that belong, keeping things outside of the cell that don't belong. And that cell fence is made up of a lot of different things, but two of the biggest components are number two, cholesterol. So we need cholesterol in that cell membrane in order for that organ to function. But the number one thing that the cell membrane is made up of are phospholipids. 
And again, that is just another fancy terminology for fats, for fats. And the number one phospholipid as fat inside of the cell membrane is EPA and DHA, which are fatty acids that come exclusively from seafood. So with that knowledge, again, the uh, you know, the Japanese, why do the Japanese live on average, you know, six, seven years longer than we do? Well, there's multiple reasons for that. And this is despite the fact that most of them smoke over there. Their, their incidence of smoking, of course, is much higher than ours in the United States. But I think, again, it's a seafood consumption story. Uh, to that end, regarding sushi, I would just implore people to eat the, you know, wild, uh, you have to request wild sushi or wild fish. So in that sense, we're asking for wild salmon. Tuna, of course, is always wild. So wild tuna, wild salmon, uh, uh, wild yellowtail and stuff like that to make sure we're getting those good levels of omega-3s. So, uh, uh, you know, and you're right to the children. Yeah, I mean, our children are, you know, first food is typically uh, some kind of shellfish. It's some kind of salmon. Uh, it, is, it is organ meats, it's liver. I mean, again, like you, you cannot find anything more nutrient dense than liver. Or, or wild salmon uh, roe eggs. I mean, you can't. So we got to yeah. embrace that. No, it's true. And, and I've learned to embrace those, just like you said, embrace those. My husband loves liver. It was the first thing we ever gave our kid outside of breast milk. And I was standing over the stove cooking it going, oh my God. But he loved it, absolutely loved it. And you know, I, I'm learning to love those things because I know it's healthy for me and I feel better when I eat those things. So- you have been fantastic. I really have enjoyed so much your time. And I want to share with everybody, first of all, you can find Dr. Jack Wolfson on thenaturaldoctor.com, but also he has made access his book called freeheartbook.com. Not really tough to re uh, remember. He made it very simple, freeheartbook.com. And before I let you go, if you have another couple of minutes, I have one question for you that I'd like to ask at um, the end of my podcast, which is this. One of my goals for this podcast is to be able to educate enough people that we create a tidal wave that three generations have changed and medicine has been turned on its head. And we truly have healthcare instead of sick care. And I know that's going to take three generations and meaning 23 billion people have to be shifted in order for that to really stay and be helped. But right now we have about 7.6 billion people on the whole universe planet, let's say. So if you had a microphone and you were able to talk to all 7.6 billion people today, what would be the secret to your life, success, health, whatever you want to embody that? What would be the secret you want everybody to know, Dr. Jack? Yeah, I think on that kind of uh, 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 macro level of what I would tell people, it would not necessarily be you know, again, obviously we can go down the whole thing about telling people, hey, listen, spend more time outdoors, uh, uh, embrace the sunshine, embrace the sleep, uh, you know, eat such and such of a diet, uh, have good relationships. Uh, ultimately, I would have to tell people for sure is stop uh, consuming anything that is, is um, chemicals, I, I guess, if you will, any kind of any kind of man-made chemicals, not to consume them. So that would essentially include not eating any foods that contain pesticides or artificial uh, sweeteners, flavorings, colorings, but it would also talk to 
uh, personal care products. It would talk to uh, skincare products and laundry detergents and fabric softeners and dryer sheets. And uh, it would extrapolate into the furniture you know, that we would use, the clothing we would buy. So again, just not being a consumer of anything that is, is laden with these synthetic chemicals. And I think if we did that, we could save the planet, save the health uh, simultaneously, and the world would be an infinitely better place. Heard and agreed, very much so. I, I couldn't agree with you more. The chemicals, the man-made, it's, it's not in resonance with our organism. So no, it is not. It is not. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing thank your time you. with thank us you. today. And next time on The Beats, you'll hear more, I'm sure, from Dr. Jack at some point. But in the meantime, thank you all for spending your time with us today. Share this. Make your comments, as you always do. We really appreciate your comments and your time with us. And go check out Dr. Jack Wolfson, The Natural Health Heart Doctor, and FreeHeartBook.com to have access to this man's wealth of information. Thank you all for sharing your time with us today. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us and spending your time here with us at The Beats with your host, Kelly Kennedy. And I know today more than ever before, you now know better how your body works. And at the very least, we hope we've helped you raise some questions and help you continue to investigate. We are here to help you naturally optimize a better version and vision of yourself on every single level. And after today, you can better engage your innate intelligence and allow for proper regulation and proper regeneration. Make sure to subscribe to never meet, miss a beat again. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. And just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice or professional advice and care by your doctor or other qualified medical professionals. This podcast is created with the intention to provide information and education. This podcast is created with the understanding that it does not constitute professional advice or medical services. If you are looking for help in your journey and seek a qualified medical practitioner, or if you're looking for a biological, not meds practitioner, we can help you. Someone who's trained and a licensed health coach and someone that can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health. That's what not meds mission is about. I hope you have enjoyed listening again to this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do. And if you do, please feel free to share it with your friends, your colleagues, uh, for the tips of living the biological foundational life and living in the flow. And if you have been listening and love the show, please do leave comments. We love reading your comments. We really do. And you can subscribe to us wherever you hear your podcast. Thank you so much from our heart to yours. Mm -hmm.